It's time to experience the Synergy Connection Show with your host, Lucy Forsting. Well, welcome everyone to our very special recording today. And I'm with Doug Warner. And Doug and I have done um, several different podcasts. Mm-hmm. I think we've up to about four. I think so. For the Synergy Connection show itself. But today we're going to be talking about something that I believe is near and dear to every one of us out there listening, and that is love. And it doesn't have to be Valentine's Day or Christmas <laughs> or a birthday or anything else. It's just that, you know, love is really, I believe, why we're here, why we are alive. We didn't get here in most circumstances unless there was some love expression, you know, that was made between two individuals. Mm -hmm. And nine months later, you know, out (laughs) you come. And your introduction into the world as we know it um, is hopefully full of love, a lot of cuddling and a Mm -hmm. lot of meeting of your needs as an infant. But we're going to call this show developing your never-ending love story and my first question and Doug and I've talked about this a little bit before we actually get started in our dialogue but my question to those of you out there listening is did you always feel that there was something missing even though you loved your partner and the reason I ask that is that as a trained professional therapist over 35 years I would hear this over and over again. I would hear somebody say, male or female, I love my partner tremendously, but there's something missing and I don't know what it is. And I guess my next question is, was communication between you and your loved one difficult? You know, in this regard, it would be like sharing your feelings with somebody and not really even understanding what you want or what you need yourself. So you know that there's something missing, but you're not sure what it is. And as a result, it's very difficult to share that concept with the person that you still love. And the third thing is, does it feel like the task is simply too difficult to even tackle? And I had probably hundreds over the 35 years that I've been a therapist where the person would say you know what it would just be easier to move on I think I'm going to file for divorce or I think we're going to separate and that is because again you don't know what it is you want you can't express it and to try to figure out how to get from where you are to where you want to go is just too painful and too difficult So if you're listening to this program, I think that this is one that will help you understand what you can do so that you'll be able to have that never-ending love story, you know, that is rightfully yours, it can be yours. And I believe this is a recipe for a lifetime and it can be passed down from generation to generation because if a child grows up in a home where they see love being expressed on a daily basis, then they take that with them into adulthood and they know what they're looking for in their partner. And what would happen or what would our world look like if it was truly based on love 
which I believe is the reason that all of us are alive, is to spread love into the world. But we have to have love in our life in order to spread it. You know, it doesn't happen otherwise. So we have four legs that we're going to look at. And the first two legs today uh, in this first recording is going to be the mental leg and the emotional leg. And the other two legs are the physical, uh, i.e. sexual at times, intimacy at times, but that leg and the spiritual. So if you kind of think about this like a table or a chair that has four legs on it, you've sat in a chair before, I'm sure, where one of those legs did not quite touch the ground, and so it wobbled. Or you've been around a table where one of the legs maybe was a little uneven and it wobbled. And that is what happens in our relationships, is that if we do not keep those four legs balanced, then they become wobbly, the relationship becomes wobbly. So Doug and I are gonna talk about how to keep the legs balanced and the components that are in those legs so that you can better understand how to truly develop this beautiful, loving relationship and one that can last for a lifetime. So Doug, thanks for joining me. Thanks Um, for having me here. I think that we have such an amazing um, chemistry between us uh, when we talk about, you know, things that are important, Mm -hmm. you know, for people to understand and know. And we can bounce things back and forth. And you're Mm -hmm. coming from a really good masculine base um, with sensitivity thrown in for good measure. (laughs) And of course, you know, my background allows me to kind of go both ways too. There are times when I've had to be very strong and there are other times where I can be sensitive and so it's it's a nice combo that, I think that so. we have. I think so, yeah. so as we look at that first leg, the mental leg, what do you think? What what runs through your mind as far as uh, keeping that one balanced? I think well, there's a number of things here, but I think one of the things that we've talked about is this um, perception of equality. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of starting. That's kind of foundational, I believe, in part in the mental leg is that. You don't go into the relationship um, thinking one side, one person feeling they're dominant, if mm-hmm. you want to say that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm better or I'm dominant, and this kind of thing. Equality, is it doesn't mean sameness, right? obviously. I mean, it, in whatever kind of relationship, this isn't just uh, male-female. It could be any loving relationship. Mm-hmm. So the sense of equality to me is, is very important. I was fortunate enough when I was um, growing up, my parents, you know, what you talked about, uh, how we grow up, hopefully in a loving environment. And I was very fortunate that I did grow up. Uh, my parents were very loving to each other. So you saw that. I, they, my parents modeled that. Uh, as I've gotten older, and I'm a parent, I've got two grown kids, and I'm a grandfather. So um, I was fortunate enough to, to have that good modeling when mm-hmm. I was being raised. Mm-hmm. And I saw them physically, um, you know, hug and, and, you know, just appropriate stuff. And it was like, okay. So I was able to bring that into my, and as I found into my marriages and into uh, with, for my children, and I've seen so many guys that I've um, you know, run into that that's a, they did not have the modeling, and some unfortunately I have a, a number of uh, young younger folks. I say younger than me. I mean I'm almost sixty five, but who are in their mid thirties and um, being raised with only one parent, 
Mm-hmm. And usually the mom. Usually the mom, so they don't have that male figure. They're not having the male figure, or they don't have, they don't have that continuity of a male figure. So there's a there's a leg there I can see, mm-hmm. and uh, that's it's wobbly on them mm-hmm. because they haven't had the role modeling of just intimacy, male female intimacy, for instance. Do they recognize that it's wobbly? Yeah. Or, or, well, and sort of that sense of. I'm uncomfortable because I want more, but I'm not sure how to get more. Oh, absolutely. I, I, they, they recognize it, just like you asked the question. Mm-hmm. They recognize something's missing, and a lot of them, they, they, and I'm, I've talked to some women, but most of, most of the guys that, that come to me are guys. Right. And they're saying, hey, you know, I'm 35 and 36 or whatever, and I'm going through girlfriends, you know, and it's, you know, on paper they look great. You know, they're attractive. Whatever it is, right. they're intelligent, educated. Whatever they're looking for, but I, I think they've missed a, they've missed a component. And do they not know what the component is? Sometimes they, a lot of times they don't know what they're missing. I mean, they can say, "Oh, well, maybe you know, I was raised by my mom, or um, I grew up in a dysfunctional family." They can recognize that, but they, but they, because they don't have the experience, I think mm-hmm. they don't know what they're. It's a feeling. It is a it's, feeling. It, it's a feeling. And, and they don't know what to do with feelings. And they and feelings, right. And so they, they turn to some toxic masculine behavior sometimes. They like drinking. Like drinking. Um, they also um, sports. A lot of them sports. get involved with sports because they think, well, maybe that's the answer. Yeah. Or they get on some of these um, these dating they watch these videos and there's a lot of toxic stuff out. Um, about you know how how to pick up women and all this other kind of stuff that's there. I realize there's a whole world out there of <laughs> of stuff. I haven't looked at them, but uh, anyway. So the point is, is that equality. I think they have a hard time with um, understanding what equality means in a relationship. And I think for me, I have to. I well, the word that comes to mind is humility. I think one component. I've learned this through my own experience by not doing it correctly, and then figuring it out and having to mm-hmm. do it is um, when it's time for it to be strong. Mm-hmm. You know, you help, you, you do your thing. You, you, you're strong in a relationship or, or anywhere in life. But when you need help. Being able to ask for it. To be able to let someone else help you. Right. Because ultimately it's loving because you're giving them an opportunity to be strong. Right, right. Which is a gift. Which is a gift. Yeah. Um, and there's just going to be this dance, I think, of equality, of net taking and net giving. I said, there's, in times in our lives, you know, you're going to be taking more than you're giving. Mm-hmm. Right? For instance, when you're being ready, you're a kid. Mm-hmm. You, but then you get to another point in life where now you may have to be, the, you're giving more than you're taking. As long as it gets balanced out. In the, well, here, here's a, a, a way also to look at some of that is understanding the compromise, understanding how to collaborate with one another, because I've seen relationships where there's deference. It's like if it has to do with the home or the Mm -hmm. kids, then the other partner, you know, the male partner uh, kind of says, well, she has more expertise, you know, Mm -hmm. or my um, wife has more expertise in that area, and I'll let her make the decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then if it had to do with the car or finances, or maybe the house repairs, or something sure. like that, then the concept is, oh, well, then that's a masculine side. Right. And quite often, they work together. They you do. know, it, it doesn't have to be, you take care of this, and you take care of this. 
it needs to be discussed as to what is the best way. Right. Exactly. Who's got the skills? So, and I think the other thing I've is to consistently. This could you asked me about um, components were in that um, mental, and I think is valuing, truly valuing what the other person has to offer and mm-hmm. communicating that to them. Mm-hmm. How do you communicate it, do you think? Um, well, very. I, my wife and I, the way I do, I mean, I, I tell her. <laughs> like I, I really like the way you did that? Or I just thank her for, um, you know, what she's doing. You know, there's times that uh, in our marriage, and I've been married 25 years at this time, I said, you know, there's times that... Uh, I've been making more money than she did, and then there were times because I worked for myself. There was ebbs and flows in my income, mm-hmm. and then she's making more money than mm-hmm. what she does. Mm-hmm. And so we have this this flow. And I, you know, when she's, I'm not always the hundred percent breadwinner type mm-hmm. of thing. So mm-hmm. it's not that role. And I, hey, when she's taking, you know, she's doing that, or she's working harder, or whatever, mm-hmm. I I really value it because I do value it. I mean, I, I feel it, mm-hmm. and I don't I I don't feel uh, less. You don't than. feel less than. I don't feel less than. Okay. I think that's another thing is being secure in yourself enough so you're not being you're not being um, threatened. Right. And if we go back to like the 40s, for instance, oh, yeah. uh, the 50s, the 60s, where it was the two martini lunches and the guys were, you know, smoking the cigars and the yeah. cigarettes and, you know, the little wife was at home. Uh, wait, it, Archie Bunker. <laughs> I mean, that was such a perfect example was, with yeah. Edith waiting until Archie came home and making sure his dinner was on the yeah. table. Yeah. And how many of, of the 70 something, you know, guys out there grew up with that image or the gals you know that maybe Mm -hmm. grew up with that and we have this whole me too movement Mm -hmm. you know right now where all of a sudden women are saying no i have value i'm not just Mm -hmm. a pretty face or Mm -hmm. a good figure and so there's this shuffling that's happening with people discovering their worth you know and and that comes back to equality is feeling like i bring to the table more than yeah. And then you fill in the blanks. And it's not just money. Right. You know, though when we say value, I mean, there's so many things that people bring into the relationship that are of value mm-hmm. that we need to recognize those. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, like you said, how you were raised, I'm, I'm, I'm born in the 50s. And, you know, so that that whole Archie Bunkery thing that my parents weren't that, though. And, I say, <laughs> I, I, and I, it's kind of funny because my parents weren't that. My dad, you know. They were both artists, and uh, oh well, so they were in touch with their soft sides they were, too. Oh yeah, and yeah. you know, I, I watched my dad. You know, when he was he was in the Marine Corps in World War II and um, went through all sorts of stuff. And oh yeah, and uh, I you know he he was somewhat physically not because he was a big guy, but somehow he just had an aura that other men were a little intimidated by him for some reason. But put it he if there was a baby in a room. If somebody had a baby, mm-hmm. you turn around, my dad would always be holding the baby. Aww. So you saw that, you know, that... <laughs> that soft side. That soft side. Uh-huh. And, and so I saw that early on. You know what? I will bet that the babies all love to be held by him because babies sense. Oh, yeah. And they can see that aura that we lose the ability to see as we age. Yep. And so, but they can still see it. And I'll bet they were mesmerized by him. They were. And I think that that's kind of... It, 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 once again, that was a modeling of something. I watched mm-hmm. that and I paid attention to it. Uh-huh. So I, I learned early on that that's not a sign of weakness. That no. type of thing is not a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've tried to uh, communicate that to my kids as well. I think I think I have. Uh, I think just 
valuing what the other person brings to the table, communicate that, validate them. Mm -hmm. We all want to be validated, you know, for our efforts. And not just pat it on the back, but really insightfully call out what the value is. Let's look at another quality that comes out with you know, this whole mental side. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's part of the emotional mm -hmm. as well, mm -hmm. but resiliency. Oh, because yeah. life is gonna deal us a lot of uh, blows that we're just not prepared for. And when we think life is going along beautifully is usually when that happens. And so um, it's so important in this particular case, as far as I'm concerned, for both sides, male and female, to have that resilient quality that when life deals you a blow that you can get back up again. But from where you sit, what do you see as far as how does the male or the female um, show resiliency? You know, what do they need to do? That's a great question. In fact, um, I had long discussions on this idea of resiliency, especially now with a uh, with a number of my students and some workshops I've done. Um, just definition-wise, resilience to me is, and I think this is kind of a textbook definition, the ability to adapt and respond mm -hmm. effectively. Mm -hmm. And adapting, I think it gets, it's the hardships, the things that life throws you, kind of strips you down to your, your, your bare-bones soul. Mm -hmm. You may lose your, your job. You may lose um, your health. Your health. Um, so you really have to have a sense of who you are. Mm -hmm. And uh, strengthen the relationship to start with is important. Weak relationships are not going to send, you know, they're not going to uh, stand the pressure. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the, I think from the mental side, communicating, I think communication skills, listening skills are a big part of resilience because you're not surviving alone. You're right. surviving together. Right. And almost inevitably, you're stronger together than you are individually. Right. So you have to see that. I, I think seeing and feeling it. Yeah, you know, it. and in many, many cases, there is this, um, I don't even know how to describe it. There's like an unspoken word. And um, so either partner may look at the other one and say, well, they know that I'm there for them. Or they know that I love them. Mm -hmm. Uh-uh. Doesn't work that way. No, no. <laughs> no. Um, it, I think people need to feel touch. They need to feel that the word is there. So it's the reassurance of having someone say, I love you. You know, uh, you mean the world to me. And, and hearing those words. Because mm -hmm. if you don't hear them, you begin to wonder, are they still there? And so maybe, um, you know, they said them, they said their vows 20 years ago, 10 years yeah. ago, three years ago. And so the wife and or the husband kind of make this assumption, which is all about making an ass out of you and me. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's an assumption that they just know. Well, no, they don't. They don't. They don't. It's funny because I, the, um, I grew up Catholic and we had a the priest that married my parents uh -huh. uh, said, I remember he was over at the house, and I remember my, my, my dad just broke out into laughter. I think my, both my mom and my dad did. And the priest <laughs> said, um, and they were somehow the conversation was coming in this direction now. And, they, and the priest said, if I, got, if I ever had gotten married, I, would, I feel that I only had to say I love you once. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and, it, and then my wife should assume that unless something changed, 
that's the case. And I, and my both my parents sat there and the table just broke out in the laughter and they said something to the effect of that's why you're not you're a priest. That's why you're a priest. <laughs> that's why you're a priest. <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to work. No. That's not going to work. I, I do. I think that you know. I think learning to um, communicate appropriately, listen, you know, listening, and not just listening with. Um, we most of the time we find it that we don't listen. Uh-huh. We don't really listen. We're thinking about what we want to say next. Exactly. And exactly. I, I used to tell my, I taught middle school for a while, and I when I ask a question to the class, um, you know, every, everybody's got their hand up. Okay? Uh-huh. And I, so I call on a student, and the student starts to answer. And while that student is answering, I've got other hands, they're, they're shooting up. And I, and I told them, I said, you know, guys, is that an, there's an anatomical connection between your arm, the muscles in your arm, <laughs> and your sense of hearing. Uh-huh. I said, when your arm is up like that, you can't hear what the other person's saying. No, that's true. And this, of course, I was joking about the anatomy part, but we're always so really being able to listen without reacting, right? Responding but not reacting. I think so. We talked about um, resiliency. I think learning to get be less reactive, mm-hmm. see how we are reactive in our relationships, mm-hmm. and be a little more. There, there's tools we can use to become less reactive and learn to respond more appropriately, more lovingly. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really true. I have um, said in many, many a counseling session is God gave us two ears so that we could listen twice as much as we speak right. with one mouth. <laughs> right, right, one mouth. Use them proportionally. <laughs> right. right. I think also one of the things that um, these listening skills is that when, especially when things get tough, you know, mm-hmm. arguments tend to become more possible. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we, I think we all have that we have to put in check are triggers. Absolutely. And knowing what those triggers are. I mean, for me, I just recently, in the last few days, had done a little bit of an exercise with myself. You know, mm-hmm. understanding that in a relationship that I'm in, um, that there are triggers. And there are very specific ones. Uh, and it only is in one area. The other areas of our life are just absolutely beautiful. But in one area, there are specific triggers. And so I listed them. And I thought, you know, that's one of those things that you share. Like when this happens, then this is how I have a tendency to respond. And I wanted him to do the same, you know, because it's like at that moment, our minds are engaged, not our hearts. And we're trying to do um, something that we're calling the 80-20 rule of trying to come 80% of the time from our heart and 20% of the time from our intellect. Because the tendency is when the trigger comes in, we jump right back into feeling injured Mm -hmm. and all the other things that you really don't want. And you're trying to rationalize and you jump into the intellectual. Absolutely. I think we're trained in our culture to to problem solve with your brain. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we're talking about love, love is not a function of the brain. No, it's definitely not. It, it's not. <laughs> love is a function of, of the heart, the intuitive consciousness. Mm-hmm. And when words are coming from the head, they sound much different than when words are coming from the heart. And you know what? It is not easy to figure that out. Oh. It, you know, how, how do you speak from the heart and not engage, you know, the brain? Not, well, you, not intellectualize. The brain has to be, I believe, and, and I, I teach, this is a 
sort of the, the foundation, the crux of what I teach in med- my meditation students is mm-hmm. learning to access that intuitive consciousness, that heart knowing. I mean, we have neurons, I mean, uh, brain cells in, in, our, our in our heart yeah. in fact, and in our gut too. Right. Our heart and our gut actually do more to control our bodies yes. than our brain does. Absolutely. And most people would say, no, 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 the brain is what controls us. That's not true. It's not true. And no. so this, that's just science. Mm-hmm. Um, although relatively new science uh, is being found out. Mm-hmm. But I think, uh, you know, I think that uh, those triggers come up. I noticed in, in there's kind of, I found triggers in my relationship came up came from two categories. I kind okay. of one of them was um, triggers that were unique to my relationship to my to that one, to my wife this mm-hmm. particular person because I have there's triggers they have with other people right you know right. it could be people of a certain age or people you know men versus women or whatever but I also have triggers that I identified and this was doing a lot of self work you know getting to a point where I teach meditation I had to do a lot of work on myself mm-hmm. and I had triggers that um, came from all sorts of sources. You know, I How call many them, of them came like from your military days? Well, they came, a lot of them did. I spent 11 years in, in the Army, uh, started as a paratrooper and later as an intelligence officer. And a lot of triggers were in there. Um, of course, for 11 years, there's a very strict, very rigid um, identification with, I would say, almost could be in some ways toxic masculinity. That's, an, that's a buzzword now, buzz mm-hmm. phrase. but. Um, very defined, you know, what's, what do guys, what are guys and what are women? Right. Uh, the, the roles. The roles and, you know, masculinity and macho and all this other stuff. Um, but just growing up. And you were a Marine, weren't you? No, actually my dad was a Marine. I was in the okay. army. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. But growing up, you know, the, I had triggers that from growing up Catholic. I, there's triggers from, um, the values that my parents instilled in me, mm-hmm. you know, or, or how they did things or how other people did things. I call them personal rants and cultural chants, but I think you had another word for those. Constructs. The constructs, right, yeah. yeah right. So we live with. And I think those create triggers. They do. Absolutely. And, and, I'm find, and I find that, oh, wow. So I, I found I had a lot of those things going on when, when, when in the military. When I got out of the military, I left because it was, I was in a toxic situation. Mm-hmm. And I had to unlearn. And I went from going 11 years in the Army um, and I turned around and became a massage therapist. And that and is I, all about touch. <laughs> and it's all about touch, and it's all about uh, intuitive work. I mean, it's, it's science as well, but it's also very much about it being intuitive and energy work, mm-hmm. you know, learning to do Reiki and therapeutic touch, and then going on with yoga and meditation. So a whole other side of me um, was being developed mm-hmm. or waking up a little bit. And I knew I, I was self-regulating because I was I said if I stay in the in this in the military for and nothing against the military nothing against people who serve, uh, you know God bless all of you. But I think a lot of your needing to leave also had to do with being an in intelligence work. Well, it, towards it, the end it was and it was very toxic. It was mm-hmm. uh, you know it was it was nurturing all the wrong parts of me. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. you know I was if you're good at something you don't want to be good at a lot of things. <laughs> There's certain things you don't want to be good at, and I was right. I was becoming really good at some things that were not really healthy for me, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with working with um, in a negative way with other people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. leave it there. I needed healing, mm-hmm. and so and when you talk about touch, you know, one of the first things we learn in, in learning body work is your need for touch for human touch is the same from cradle to grave. Right, right, and that's one of the problems 
2020 had with everybody is the lack of touch. I, I, there's a lot of that. The very big problem. The interesting thing is, is that I may have fewer students coming to my classes, mm-hmm. but I've got more massage clients. Ah, because they need touch. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. They're willing to, to do that. I mean, we use all the uh, protocols, of course, but um, I needed heal me, healing myself first. And part of my healing was learning how to work out of that intuitive consciousness. And I had to deconstruct a lot of garbage. I had to deconstruct a lot of uh, triggers, a lot of rigid thinking, this type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And I learned how to communicate much better. And I, I'm thinking that with a lot of guys more than gals you know that whole construct if you will that says uh, big boys don't cry yep you know just that masculine like you need to tough this out you need to understand that it's going to hurt but you're a guy you can handle it and it's not the same message for girls right and so as a boy becomes a man he distances himself in many cases from the need for touch. It becomes sex and mm-hmm. sexuality, but it doesn't become intimacy. It doesn't right. become caress. It doesn't become those kind of touches. And men need it just as much as women. And maybe even more. And I say more, not because inherently men need it more than women or women need it more, but because women are allowed in our culture to touch mm-hmm. more, more freely. That's true. I remember um, my I, one thing that my um, in growing up, my dad. I never saw my dad hug another male other than me. Okay. I never saw him hug, and I never saw other and men like hug. And like in Italy, they kiss each other. <laughs> I, I was I, and there's all sorts all around the world. Yeah, the people yeah. here. And I was I was in the Middle East, and there was a uh, an Egyptian captain I was liaisoning with, and we started to walk down the down the walkway and he starts to he goes and holds my hand and my and my guy my, my troops were with me and, and i'm like oh man oh man but I, you look around oh and that, that was that that was uh-huh. and he was a burly pair you know paratrooper captain and all this kind of stuff right. and he wasn't and it wasn't and it wasn't sexual it, there was nothing about that it was yeah. just what they do yeah, exactly and it's kind of like a friendship gesture it's a very much a friendship gesture yeah. um one of the big first things i i learned coming out of the military and healing myself is I became a hugger mm-hmm. and it was it was it was amazing you know that cradle to grave need for for non-sexual touch right right sexual touch is great but there's that it's we're not what we're talking about and the thing is is that when people are little cute babies mm-hmm. they're usually not short of getting touch right and as they you know if, if they're fortunate enough to grow up to be attractive young men and women mm-hmm. they're gonna get touch they're gonna they get are. but you start to get older and you get, and I've worked with, I worked with hospice for six years as a volunteer, you know, mm-hmm. working with people are, they're in, uh, they're sick, they're elderly, they don't look the, as well, as good as they used to, mm-hmm. you know, from some standards. Mm-hmm. They need a touch just as much as that baby did. Right. It's and, a, and it it's can a new just trend. be holding their hand. No. You know, it, it, um, I know there's a lot of people that talk about somebody who's dying and they will crawl into the hospital bed with them and yeah. hold them. Yeah. Because, you know, it's terribly, not, I don't think it's painful at that point as much as it is frightening. And just that reassurance that it is going to be okay and yeah. life doesn't just 
um, begin and end with birth and death, but there's a transition. There's a time when you move on, and it just you're not visible anymore. But right. it doesn't mean that you're and you're not alone. Here. And you're alone. And we come into our life alone, and we're going to go out alone. That's right. And but in that resilience, building that resiliency in the relationship, I think that is a great communicator. Though is touch, mm-hmm. and people who may not, even if, if and I know there's a lot of guys that I know just don't. They didn't grow up that way. Even younger guys, mm-hmm. touch just wasn't uh, in the matrix. It wasn't in the formula of what they understood. But I had to, I had to do work in that area for myself. Coming mm-hmm. out of a non-touching. Do you think that's why, in part, you chose massage? Oh, it's because it forced you to touch. It, it's. I'm going to say there's probably been a, two or three times in my no more than two or three times where I actually was called to do something. Uh huh. And that was one thing I was called to do because I had no idea what I was going to do when I resigned from the military. Had you ever had a massage before you went into the military? One. And that was in Germany. And it was, um, it was a, a, I, I do believe that the massage therapist was a, it was a lady. I think she was a sumo wrestler. <laughs> and she beat the snot out of me. And it wasn't, it wasn't. She was doing deep tissue. She was doing something. I don't know what she was doing. But I, don't, I think a body slam was somehow involved in this. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. It wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna run out and do this again. But, oh, but uh, it, it, I don't know. I got to Florida. I came to Florida, and um, it just—that's what I want to do. That's mm. what I want to do, and I've been doing it for 27 years. So um, it, it seems was the to, right. Fit. It was the right thing for me, and I did it for me first. To be honest, I wasn't out there trying to heal the world, mm-hmm. but I was wanted to do something positive, and I wanted to do something from the heart. I wanted to do something that was going to develop my heart, knowing. Um, so I want us to move into the emotional life mm-hmm. for a minute because um, one of the things that is truly important for people listening to this program is to understand that you don't you can't have just one leg operational you know it, it is going to be all four legs and we have to basically feed or uh, fill each leg as we grow so if you figure that you're beginning to fill it, you know, as an infant with little things, and then as you get into toddlerhood and into, you know, school age and middle school, high school, mm-hmm. you know, maybe college, but certainly as we age, you never stop filling the legs, mm-hmm. you know, because we continue to grow ideally. So we're going to jump over into the emotional leg because mm-hmm. that is a huge area that we either fill or we run away from, you know, just depending upon what's going on and what has gone on in our life from birth forward. So if we're looking at that, then valuing who we are as individuals is where I'd like for us to begin because, you know, that has been part of the mental, you know, the the resilient, am I a resilient person? Am I smart? Who am I? You know, those kind of things that we did intellectually now we're going to go over into that emotional leg. We're going to take some of that knowledge and put it in there. But we begin to react, ideally, from our heart and not so much from our intellect at this mm-hmm. point. And we're looking at, do we value us personally? Or do, are we constantly looking for validation outside of us? And if we don't get it, then we're less than. Or have we learned to say, you know what, even though... You know, my friends, my teachers, my parents, my siblings, my family members don't value who I am. I value 
who I am. So what do you think about that? I think it's, that's exactly what we, in order to find value in yourself, I think you need to, where do I go to find that? Mm-hmm. Where is, where am I? And how do you find it? Again, my, my personal journey and what I, I try to do is help folks, again, knowingly being aware that they're accessing that heart knowing. What does mm-hmm. it look like? Yeah. What does it feel like when you've done that? When you when you're being informed at another level, another way of knowing, mm-hmm. you know, it, and once you've done that, you, you you start to realize it's like there's a whole nother part of me that's smarter than this brain. Because my brain is only processing what the senses are taking in, and there's another part of me that is smart, and it's smarter than this, mm-hmm. this, this mm-hmm. the computer upstairs. Mm-hmm. You also, I think, at that point, you you realize intrinsically that you are of value. And you are unique, but at that particular level is the level that you connect with other people. You really right. connect with others. Is right. it that that energetic that, that into heart level. that heart level? Mm-hmm. I think just for my own personal identity and being okay with who I am, that gets reinforced by consistently being able to dive into that pool right. and swim there comfortably. Right. And even navigate the rocks that are there. And navigate the things that are there. <laughs> yeah. And then when thing, and that's a place, too, of, of, of healing. Mm-hmm. Were, well, and it goes, to me, it goes back to resiliency. You know, absolutely. Is, is that we can have a lot of stones thrown at us. They can yeah. land up in that pool, that emotional pool. But if we can navigate around them and say, well, that's that person's opinion. Yeah. Or, you know, this job is not the right job for me because of, and you can list the reasons, but this job over here is going to value what I bring to the table. And that's all about relationships. So the never-ending love story is a love story that you're having with you. Well, I truly believe that. And I think we're all looking, we're all in that search. Mm-hmm. We're all it's sort of like the, the perennial the hero, hero's journey. We're mm-hmm. all looking for something. Mm-hmm. And part of the first the first thing you're looking for is the, it's a classic thing of looking for your identity. Who am I? Who am I? And I believe that the relationships, two things in a relationship that make it work is number one, I start to have a better idea of who I am by getting to know who you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you open up that, you know, that other person helps you, allows you mm-hmm. to be who you are. Mm-hmm. And to grow into it. And that, to maybe. grow into it. And, and mm-hmm. there's going to be change. Mm-hmm. Um, change is inevitable. It it, is we, ine- we cannot escape it. And one of the things I've tell you, I've had students who have um, trained yoga teachers and, and, and met and through these things that we're doing, I'm doing, and I've have students come to me, and usually they're women, but I've had a number of guys too, and they said, you know, Doug, I know we've been, I've been doing the, doing this yoga and this meditation stuff for a while now and um, man my husband or my wife my partner they're really getting worried about me they're getting worried <laughs> about a relationship because they just think I'm not I'm not I feel like I'm distant they feel like I'm detached I'm, de- I'm distant mm-hmm. and I said well it is that's not unusual mm-hmm. I said you are becoming detached the word detachment in our in our language in our culture is a bad thing because it means like you don't care and I said actually what's happening is because it happened with me is that i'm more compassionate i have more range of motion for empathy and compassion Mm -hmm. because every time 
you're speaking, I'm not raising my hand. Right, to, to I'm talk. listening. I'm actually listening. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not reacting right. as much. I'm being less reactive, more responsive. And that it's a big difference. It, it's huge. a huge difference. And so what that reflects is, is that your partner thinks that you're, you're detached in a, in a bad way, a bad connotation. It means you're not reacting to the triggers that established your relationship to start with. Right. They, they measured your, your interest you know, are you in the game still with me? If they can get you to react, if right. they can poke poke at you and you're right. going to react, right. then they say, okay, they still care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said, what you need to do is communicate with your partner what you're doing. Communicate what we're talking about right here. You're going through this growth process of learning how to be in the world a little differently. And tell them, look, you know, I want to dance with you. Mm-hmm. Can we just learn a new step? Right, right. Instead of always doing the foxtrot, let's do the cha-cha. <laughs> right, and and learning that's where your language, mm-hmm. your you know your um, your responsiveness versus reactiveness. I mm-hmm. you know I I always say um, you know if if you're breaking up with someone, uh, you really want to, whether it's you know a separation or a divorce or something. I said you you got to wait till you're not angry anymore, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because as long as you're angry, it means you still. You still um, are reacting. You're caring. There's a caring there that you have to resolve that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because and then when you can you can separate or divorce or whatever you choose to do, without being angry, but being that's responding, not reacting. Right, and that is probably then at that point coming from a heart understanding, exactly, as opposed to an intellectual process. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. You know what? I um, Did you ever see the movie? And I'm sure you did. E.T.? Oh, yeah. And so at the very end of the movie, as E.T.'s leaving, you know, Elliot is so upset, um, you know, because he is so attached mm-hmm. to his friend. But I think at that point, Elliot is at his head. You know, you're mm-hmm. leaving me. What does that mean? I'm never going to see you again. Right. And so he's intellectualizing all of this. And E.T. takes that long finger mm-hmm. and it lights up and he points to mm-hmm. Elliot's heart. And he said, I will always be right there. And, and that's a part of, of coming from the heart is understanding that we are all a part one. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. part of one another. We're part of nature. Mm-hmm. We're part of life. Yep. And if we can go and be in the heart, then it doesn't become this intellectual process of I've lost someone. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it's, it's not that. It's they will always be a part of you, right. even if you're physically not able to be together. I know we're almost going to play on that just because mm-hmm. it just brought it to mind. Sure. Um, and I think that may, when we get in later on to the spiritual side, uh-huh. that, that this is a... Yeah, a, but it, you fill these legs simultaneously. You do. But, you know, there's a one thing, and you may have known people. Um, I've not had a personal experience, a near-death experience, mm-hmm. but I've... I've known people personally who have. And I, I have. And I, okay. And yeah, you, okay. I have. Okay. And then, then you can speak to this. Um, what I have, and I've read, like a lot of people have read about, you know, but there seems to be a common denominator in all these experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, what people see, what people experience, you know, whatever, whatever they see a light or they see other people, whatever it is, mm-hmm. when they come back, there's one thing they all seem to communicate, uh, a... I'm going to say an unshakable conviction that there's more mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. existence than we perceive with more our than intellect, the physical. more than physical, mm-hmm. more than what the intellect can right. perceive. 
and they've lost a fear of, of death. Mm -hmm. And I say that in the in so that's a near death experience with that conviction is there's more. I I, you know, I don't look forward to dying, but I know in my mm -hmm. heart because that's where I I experience this mm -hmm. in that intuitive consciousness realm that it's it's okay. It's gonna I'm gonna go on. Right. There's part of me that will go on, and, right. and we all do. And in these practices that I, I try to work with and things that we've been talking about, there are there's a way to have that same conviction by having a, when we connect at that heart level, we know intrinsically that there's part of me that's not going to die. Right. And it's I call that a near life experience. Oh, that's a nice way to look at it too, because I I think what happens for the majority of people um, is they hope that there is something sure. beyond death, but we don't see it. And so if we can't see it, we can't intellectualize it and understand it. And we have plants that die, we have pets that die, we have uh, people that we love that die, you know, and we visit a cemetery maybe. Um, we think of them, we remember them, but they're not here. They're not physically in our space where we can see them. Well, and then go just to, to bring it back to the, the original topic, mm -hmm. is that when we really connect at a heart level with another person, mm -hmm. it's that near-life experience where you now have a conviction that there's something here. Mm -hmm. we're, we're connected at a level that is, is bigger than the two of us. Than the two of us. Yes. It's bigger than the two of us, yes. but it is part of the two of us. Yeah. And it doesn't go on. When a spouse dies or a lover or a partner dies, the love doesn't die. No. And, and the thing is, is that helping somebody understand that you can't see energy. You can feel it. Mm -hmm. We know that when we flip a switch, a light goes on, yep. ideally, unless mm -hmm. the light bulb has, you know died mm -hmm. but otherwise you know we get light and yet we can't see the electricity mm -hmm. the energy running to the light bulb yeah. and when and you work with energy and I work with energy yeah. and so when I touch somebody and bring my healing touch into the relationship mm -hmm. they feel it oh, they yeah. absolutely feel it but I'm not using an apparatus nope. I am using the energy that is within me and that's what comes from the heart if your heart centered and you're giving love, which is what we're talking about, you know, the never-ending love story that is us, and it's the love we give to others, then you can't see it, but it's there, and it's, it's our gift. It's, it is, and I would just, I would just say one, one add-on to what you just mentioned, that energy ideally is not coming from you, it's coming through you. Through you, yeah, absolutely. Because if you're using your own energy, it's, it's going to Dissipate, it's it's yeah. going to dissipate. Yeah. But if you learn to be an open conduit, right. and that energy right. is what? Love. It is. It is. It's, that's it, all it, it is. That's what it is. We're conduits. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if, it, if it's flowing in a relate, that's another thing. In a relationship, if both people are open conduits for that love mm -hmm. and not getting blocked just like a garden hose, you know, if it's got a tweak in it, <laughs> it's got a kink in it, or uh -huh. it's got a clotted dirt in it, it's mm -hmm. going to get, it's going right. to, you know, mess up the flow there. But if, right. and I think that relationships flow and I said instead of I think that's it it's it, it, I like a dance it's like a dance mm -hmm. it flows it flows sometimes you lead sometimes you follow but you're dancing you're flowing back and forth well and if you use flow as as the visual here if you've ever been around a really pretty stream or a creek mm -hmm. 
you do have boulders in it. Sure. You do have, you know, um, maybe an area where a beaver has built a little bit of a dam. It doesn't stop the flow. No, just navigate it. it nav- you navigate You it. navigate the flow. And so if you can navigate from your heart and you realize that life is going to throw you curveballs, yep. then that 80-20, that, that understanding that I need to try to get out of my head and find all the reasons why something isn't good right. and get into my heart and realize that there's a lot of positives here and, and try to stay there. And so then when you're dealing with a child who's having difficulties, a parent who's having difficulties, mm. you know, a relationship like spouses where there's difficulties, you're not willing to throw the towel in. You're, you're trying to look at how do I get to my heart to see this and how do I keep my table balanced you know Mm -hmm. have I put in the work that I needed to emotionally which is where we're on that leg have I done what I needed to to mentally share you know from an intellectual I'm growing you know in my knowledge base and I want to share with you what I'm discovering Mm -hmm. but are you staying connected you know and we're just looking at these first two legs right now I want to touch base, too, on belonging for just a minute. Okay. And, um, you know, what is your sense of belongingness? And I don't even know that that is a word, but I think we have this belief that, not necessarily that we belong to one another, but that we belong to life, maybe, Hmm. is a good way of saying that. That if we're here and we're occupying space that we have a sense of we belong here. There is something that we are to do that is bigger than who we are individually. I totally believe that. And I can I I always say to students and, and on this topic is most of the time you hear about people looking at what's the meaning of life? What's and, my purpose? <laughs> well those are two different things. Mm-hmm. And it's like quit looking for the meaning of life. Mm-hmm. Looking for meaning is an intellectual event. Right. You will never get the, the answer here. But, you have to still come from the heart to find the answer. Purpose, but purpose yeah. is a different thing. Right. I don't know what... You know, there's a story about the Buddha was giving one of his talks on something. In big crowd, allegedly. And he's going to give a talk, okay? And it was about the meaning of life or whatever the title. And he just he got up in front of the people and just held up a flower. Didn't say a word. And everybody was looking at him like, what the, what the, what's that about? And there was one guy in the back that he could tell by the look on his face, he got it. It's like, but what's the meaning of that flower? It doesn't have a meaning in the sense of, do you, do you, you're trying yeah. to build a construct, an intellectual right, construct right, right. where flower fits in. Equals. Equals this. <laughs> right. And it's not, but what is the purpose of the flower? Well, mm-hmm. you, could, you could write volumes on the purpose of a flower. Exactly. So what is our purpose? And I think... I think our purpose is exactly what we're talking about here is we're here to connect with the heart. Mm-hmm. We we navigate. Yeah, I mean it, we're we're part of all this. The thread that runs through it, everything that we feel belong, we belong to. We belong to it because we we understand that what happens to me, what happens to you, happens to me. Exactly, what? and I think you talked about the uh, person that was in the police. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's there's a. That's a beautiful way to, you know, Joseph, explain this. Joseph Campbell, a mythologist, relayed a story in one of his books about a police officer. This is a real thing, a real, a real event. 
police officer called to a, a potential suicide on a bridge. Mm-hmm. So he pulls up, and there's a guy standing on the rail ready to jump off the bridge. The cop gets out of the car and rushes over and flings himself out over the railing to grab this guy just as his feet are leaving the railing. And for a few moments, they're both dangling. And finally, more police come and they help and they, they rescue like the that. guy. Mm-hmm. And another police officer, maybe it was a reporter, someone asked the policeman, what were you thinking? That guy was, he was about ready to go. He said, what were you thinking? You almost killed yourself. He mm-hmm. says, I have no idea what I was thinking. He said, I wasn't. But for one brief moment, I knew that whatever happened to that young man was happening to me as well. Yeah. And he broke through I, I call the sense of duality. Mm-hmm. And realize that at a certain level, we're all connected. We're all connected. And that's the belonging. Right. I right. belong here. You know, right. I, you can walk in the woods, you can sit by the, on the beach or whatever, and you say, yeah, I belong here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, because it's part of who we are. And, and it's at that vibrational frequency where yes, you begin so. to understand that matter exists in everything, and we're all part of it. Yeah. And it's not belonging to, it's belonging with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and... And maybe this is a good time to talk about surrendering to the relationship mm-hmm. on this emotional level. That when we surrender to something like a relationship, in your mind, what does that mean? Well, funny that, that that's a great concept because that's a, <laughs> one of the things is that um, you know being in the army, the surrender is the S word. <laughs> you don't, you know, that's not the word. You know, we're not. But always um, or, or retreating. Mm-hmm. Okay, and always funny because I hold retreats and I was like, you know, retreat was not a good word. No, because That's, you backed up. Yeah, yeah. And I remember there was a, um, a general, Civil War general, that said, I wasn't retreating, I was advancing in another direction. And, oh, I, and I really like that. That is good, yes. So surrender, um, because it has a, a negative word, like de- it can be negative, like detachment. Mm-hmm. But I believe that what you're doing, surrendering to the relationship, is not giving in, like, it's, like you're in a battle. Mm-hmm. It's allowing... The other person to dance to lead the dance maybe right but you're surrendering to something bigger you realize that 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 thing that holds you together is bigger than your individual mm-hmm. needs at the time and Does surrender compromise kind of work in absolutely here? because Com- you know it, it's all moment, a compromise yeah, i was going to say there are going to be moments when you know the bigger picture is maybe what the other person needs or wants yep. and so you know you you give but knowing that you will also be receiving at some point down the road. And so it is that dance. It's a dance. It's giving in, not giving up. Mm-hmm. It, you know, so surrender really is, is and it's giving in has a negative thing too. I, I have a story that we, we had mentioned. A friend of mm-hmm. mine actually was my uh, a guy did some um, uh, filming for me. And he was in that 35, 36 year age group. And he was dating a, a woman. And, you know, he was asking for some advice he says you know she wants to go she wants me to go to this party and and it's really important to her I don't I don't want to go to the party you know he's going through this whole thing sounding you know kind of self-centered a little bit there you know and and I he was 35 he was 35 right and so you know he said I don't want to go to the party and I said well you know maybe why don't you give it a shot I don't like those people and you know the whole and I finally said well if it's important why don't you just just try it he said, "Okay, I'm going to go, but I'm going to I'm going to bring my phone. I'm just going to sit in the corner with my uh, earphones. I'm going to um, just watch the game, listen to the game." I said, "Okay, I'll try it." So he felt because he felt I didn't want her to win. Right. So he it felt was it was a win lose. Well, it was also part of that male mm-hmm. um, 
to live. She's telling me what to she's do. She's trying to. She's yeah. yeah she's not going to control me. She's not all these kinds of things. Right, you know, right, talk right, about right. rants and chants. You know, right, right. I, I'm a man. I can do what I want. You're not. You know, I'm not going to be dragged around by a woman. Mm-hmm. So anyway, he goes. He went to the party. So I talked to him a few days later, and I said, "Well, how'd that thing go? How'd that party go?" And he says, "Well, I got to tell you the truth." He said, "I got there. I didn't. I didn't even bring my phone in to the house." And he said, I ended up having more fun at the party than she did. Yeah. And so, so he gave himself permission to he, experience. He gave himself permission and it gave, so that giving in seemed like a loss, mm-hmm. but it's funny, gain and loss. Mm-hmm. I think I lost something, but I actually gained something. And look what he gained in terms of their relationship. Absolutely. Even if they didn't stay together for the rest of their lives. At that moment, she saw him in a different place than if he'd gone in with the phone and the earbuds. Absolutely. And he also, I think, just got a couple notches up on his emotional intelligence. Yes, he did. You know, I, I think it's um, many of us are not, we need emotional sobriety. Because <laughs> we, we get a little kind of drunk on these, these things that are, you know, have, have kind of distorted our thinking. Yeah, that's true. Well, um, we're going to pause. We're going to do part two of this um, wonderful discussion about having the never-ending love story of your lifetime with another person, but also with yourself. And what that means as we look toward healthier relationships that might eventually shape the world that we live in right now. Boomers Forever Young is really making a name for themselves as an exciting nutritional company with products that really work. People from all over the country are starting to take notice. Their whole person approach to health and wellness, combined with their unique array of powerful natural health products, are setting them apart from all the other companies in the nutrition industry. Their customers love the one-on-one free consultations and the results they experience. Sound a little too good to be true? Then go online to boomerboost.com today and sign up for a free consultation with a product specialist or just give us a call at 1-800-861-4609. Again, that's boomerboost.com or call 1-800-861-4609 to join the thousands already experiencing the benefits of Boomers Forever Young products. 